Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I hope you are doing well. To those who were at choir tour over the last week, I hope you are uh, more recovered than I am. Um, I'm still not 100%, but it was uh, very, very, very good. Uh, if you hadn't, didn't have a chance to go with us on the Regen on Mission tour to Cincinnati, I would really encourage you to find maybe some students uh, afterwards and just ask how it went uh, if you haven't already. It was a fantastic week. Um, we worked hard. We played hard. We had a lot of fun. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and find 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And while you're finding that, just as a matter of public record, for those of you who were here last Sunday and for the recording, I want to say thanks to Tom McClendon. Uh, Brother Tom filled in for us last week from 1 Kings 18. I'm grateful for him, and um, he is a dear brother. And if you guys don't know Tom McClendon, he's our pastor of congregational care. He is a dear, dear man who loves God. He's holy, um, humble. And so if you don't have a, uh, a relationship with him, I'd encourage you to get to, know, get to know Brother Tom. But I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be back in 1 Thessalonians, and I'm glad to be back uh, thinking about uh, how we ought to live in light of the gospel. So if you remember last week, or two weeks ago rather, um, we kind of made the shift, right, from what does the gospel mean, like what is the gospel, to uh, how should we then live in light of the gospel. And Paul wants us to see uh, the big idea that we can have as Christians as it relates to our hope for the future, like what's coming for us as Christians, we believe that Jesus, our resurrected King, will one day come back. He will return to this earth, descending from heaven to make all things right, to make all things new. And in that day, we will be glorified. We will enjoy God's presence and love and perfect harmony forever and ever. Like that's our hope. That's our future. But the church in Thessalonica seemed to be confused about some of the details, there was some confusion between what Christians ought to believe and perhaps what the pagan religions in the city of Thessalonica was proclaiming. So Paul wants to set the record straight. And in our passage this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll start in verse 13, uh, Paul is going to address some of those confusions and then give us some clarity. Now, we all agree that issues related to the end times or the, the last days or the, the return of Jesus, uh, questions related to that are mysterious. Like we don't have all the answers that we might want to have. It's not as clear as we want it to be. I mean, just go read Revelation and tell me it's clear. Like it's not. We have questions that may not get full answers until Jesus comes back. But there are some things we can know. There are some things that are clear, and those things can give us hope, and those things are where we're headed today. So let's read our text together, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's start in verse 13, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died, and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this, we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, 
and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray before we go any further. Oh God in heaven, the most important thing that we might do today as we gather as your people is to sit under your word and hear you speak. And so Lord, I pray that in our time together this morning, as we think about what you have for us here in this passage, remind us that your word is truth, that your word is good, that your word is sufficient for us. Even when it doesn't answer all the questions that we might have, help us to be content in what you have seen fit to give us. And Lord, I pray that as we think about your, uh, your return, Lord Jesus, and we think about the hope that that gives us, I pray that that would just burrow down deep into our hearts and, and allow us and stir us up to live in light of these glorious truths. Jesus, you are coming soon. And in light of that, we want to live accordingly. So God, help us to understand your word rightly, to enjoy our time together, to be changed by your spirit, through the word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you've heard from the text, we're talking about the return of Jesus. And there's some confusion in the church in Thessalonica about how these things will be specifically related to those who have died. So the church in Thessalonica has been around for not a long time, but, but long enough for some in their midst to believe the gospel and then pass away, either through persecution or through sickness or other more natural means. And so there's some confusion of, well, they've died, they've passed away. So are they going to miss what Jesus is going to do when he returns in the near future? So as we think about maybe taking notes this morning, if you want to write this down, our first point is, is this, the return of Jesus leads believers to grieve and wait with hope. Right? The return of Jesus is going to lead believers to grieve and to wait with hope. It may seem odd to us, right? We're reading this letter 1,900 years after it was written, give or take. But the early church really believed that Jesus could come back at any moment. And so they're hearing uh, the, the gospel being preached. They're hearing Paul say some things about Jesus. And they're thinking, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. Apparently, they thought those who had fallen asleep, which is a metaphor, an image for dying, apparently they thought that they were going to miss out on what Paul had told them. So Paul wants them to know the truth that all of us, all believers, living or dead, have hope. And that hope is rooted and grounded in what Jesus has already done. So our hope is not rooted and grounded in us, right? Our hope for the future is not rooted in our works or our life or our achievements. It's rooted in Jesus. He died on the cross for us and for our salvation. And he rose from the dead, physical, bodily resurrection. And so Paul says, if we are in Christ and Christ died and rose again, then those who we know, who we love, who love Jesus and they've experienced death, they will also experience resurrection. In the same way that Jesus died and rose again, we can know that resurrection for loved ones and brothers and sisters in the faith who have passed, resurrection is their hope as well. 
Now, I spoke on this a few weeks ago at Summer Bible Study, but it, it bears repeating. All of us will be or already have been acquainted with death, right? Like you can think about maybe a, a loved one, a family member, a, a dear friend, someone who unexpectedly pass away or, or even someone who expectedly pass away. Think about a, an elderly grandparent or a great grandparent. But the reality is the sting of death for those who still live on is real and it's powerful. And often it is heart wrenching, but we cannot forget the hope that we have in Jesus because just as Jesus died and conquered death, We know that when he returns, he will bring an end to death once and for all. So Paul's explaining to the church and us that God has spoken. He says that, right? In verse uh, 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. This isn't just Paul saying, "Ah, I think this is going to happen. I think this may be the case. He's saying, no, this has been revealed to us by God. Those who are alive at the return of Christ will not precede or come before those who have died. In other words, Paul's saying there is no penalty for being dead when Jesus brings an end to death. They're not going to miss out. Our loved ones, our brothers and sisters, the the church of Christ throughout time and space who's gone before us, they're not going to miss out on anything that's to come when Jesus returns. And just like in those days, We now in the present believe that Jesus could return at any moment. It's an impending return. And when he comes, no one will miss it. No one will miss it. So the second point this morning is this. The return of Christ, the return of Jesus will be public and without confusion. It will be public and it will be without confusion. Some of us have probably had questions, if we're honest, about the mechanics of the end times. Like how do these things fit together? And I read this prophecy or this apocalyptic passage, and I'm, I'm trying to put the puzzle pieces together. How does this all work? How long will these things happen? Who will be there? When will the resurrection of the righteous happen? When will the resurrection of the unrighteous happen? On and on we can go. And there have been brothers and sisters for a long time trying to put this puzzle together. And perhaps the fact that it hasn't been put together should encourage us to not just spend so much time on it, right? Because there are some things, like we said earlier, that we just don't have clarity on. But we do have clarity on some things. These aren't bad questions. And it's not wrong for you to study these things. But we have to remember that the original author, Paul in this case, often doesn't feel the same kind of curiosity He doesn't feel the same kind of tension that we do here in the present. You know what I mean? It's it's not like Paul's going, man, 1900 years from now in 2022, when this youth group gets together and reads this letter, then they'll understand what I meant. Like that's not his mindset. His mindset is there's a church in Thessalonica that needs clarity on the return of Jesus. So let me write to them what they need to hear. So when we read the Bible, this is just a good general principle When we read the Bible, and specifically here when we're reading about difficult doctrines like the return of Christ, you and I want to commit to read the Bible on its terms and not ours. 
So we can come to the Bible with real questions. We can come to the Bible with real curiosities. We can come to the Bible with, with real doubts and real frustrations and real confusions. And we can say, God, help me to understand what is true, what is real, what is right. But we want to read the Bible on its terms. God, what are you saying to me? We don't put the Bible in some kind of dock or some kind of uh, um, law room or, or courtroom and say, well, I got to ask you some questions, Bible. And if you don't answer the questions the way that I want you to, I don't have to believe you. No, we say, God, your word is truth. Your word is good. It's more valuable to us than gold. And so all that you have for me in this word, it is enough. It is more than enough. So in this section, what we find is that the return of Christ is public. It's without confusion. Paul tells us that the Lord Jesus will descend from heaven. So one day, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, will descend from heaven. He will physically come down to earth. And when he does, there will be three accompanying signs, Paul says. There will be a cry of command. There will be the voice of an archangel. And there will be the sound of the trumpet of God. So make no mistake. No one on the earth will be left in the dark when Jesus comes back. Right? The voice of an archangel. The trumpet of God. A cry of command. These things are going to make way. It's going to proclaim. In the same way you think about like a, maybe like an old movie where there's a, a kingdom or, or a king. There's, there are these criers who proclaim uh, that the king has come or the king is here. Or if you've ever watched the State of the Union address in our country, you know, they're in the halls of Congress and there's a lot of things going on. But at some point, the president is going to walk into the room. And right before he walks into the room, if you've watched it before, you know what happens. There is a man, the sergeant at arms, I believe, who cries out, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States, and everybody gets up because everybody knows who's here. There's no confusion. There's no question. And so in the same way, Paul is saying there will be no confusion on the earth when Jesus comes back. They will know it's him. This is important because Jesus will be coming back to restore and to glorify all creation. There will not be any stone left unturned, any people group left out, or any aspect of his creation not waiting at attention when those sounds ring from heaven. So the word doesn't leave us in any confusion. Jesus himself will descend. It won't be a messenger. It won't be a prophet. It won't even be an angel. It will be Jesus himself. And all will see the king. And all will know him for who he is. Now, Jesus tells us either that's going to be with great joy or with weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus comes back, there will be only two responses. It will be delight and joy and satisfaction or dread. But there will not be any confusion. And this descent is not distanced from other events related to the end. So, so listen, in, in another letter, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Now, 
Those trumpets, that cry, that voice, which all announced the descent of the Lord Jesus, announced the fullness of the end. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that's going to happen in a moment. So it seems to be. Now, again, there are brothers and sisters who disagree on the mechanics of the end times, and we want to make room for that. But it seems to be, in 1 Thessalonians 4, here in our passage, connected to 1 Corinthians 15, it seems to be there's not going to be a, a long, prolonged process. Jesus is going to return and he's going to make things right. And so we don't have to wonder how will these things be? What's the mechanics of this? We know with clarity. Well, all I know is Jesus is going to come back. Everyone's going to know it. Jesus is going to come back. Everyone's going to know it. That leads us to the last section of this passage. So not only does the return of Jesus give us room to to grieve and to wait with hope, not only uh, will it be public and without confusion, but number three, the return of Jesus will be final and glorious. It will be final and it will be glorious. So what happens to believers when Jesus descends? Paul tells of two groups, right? Those who have died and those who are still alive when Jesus comes back. The dead in Christ, Paul says in verse 16, will rise first. So as Jesus is descending from heaven, think about this picture. As Jesus is descending from heaven, somehow, we don't know exactly what this will look like, but somehow the souls of those who have been with the Lord in death are now united to resurrected bodies and will be with Jesus in the air. Can you imagine that sight? Like the saints of old, the apostles, all of our brothers and sisters throughout the history of the church, like the train of Jesus's robe following him from heaven down to earth. Our family, our friends, our loved ones, even our enemies who repented of their sins, all coming back with the one who makes all things new. That's the vision that we will see if we're alive. Then in verse 17, Paul says, those who are alive will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So that word caught up is from the Latin word where we get the word rapture. So if you ever thought like, I've never really read the word rapture in my Bible. Well, where do we get that word? We get it from right here. They're caught up. The, the, the idea is almost like being snatched or being taken up. There's, it's this idea of there's force in this movement. It's not like you're going, hey, uh, you want to you wanna come up in the clouds with me? Oh, yeah? Okay, great. Come on up. No, it's you're coming. I do this with my son all the time, right? I ask him to hand me something that he's not supposed to have, and he tries to walk away, and I go, no, 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 you're not going that way. You're going this way, right? We're caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So if Jesus comes back today, we would look and see him and we would see the saints of old. We would see those who have died, who have risen, who are descending with him. And then we would rise to meet them in the air. That's the the image that Paul is giving us here in this passage. And once we meet him there, Paul says, once we meet Jesus in the sky, once we meet him in the air, we will always be with him. We will never leave him again. He will never leave us. There will never be a time after that moment where we will not be with Jesus. How glorious is that? 
How amazing is that? That when you and I see Jesus with our own eyes, it will be the end to all sin, to all pain, to all suffering, to all death, to all heartbreak, to all insecurity, to all hatred, and all else that is not perfectly reflecting the character of God in his world. So, Paul says, you can encourage one another with these words. All of us place our hope somewhere. Our grades, our popularity, our team, our friends, our money, our country, you name it. We are really, really good at finding things to put our hope in. But Paul says, no, 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 no. Your hope, the source of your hope, the thing that you can encourage one another is not in those things. It's in Jesus and the fact that he is coming again. So when I find myself overwhelmed by all that's required of me, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just talking to myself, but maybe you have felt this as, as well. Maybe I think about all the things I have to do in school. I think about all the things I have to do with work. I think about all the things I have to do with my family. I think about all the things that I want to do outside of those things, these passions that God has given me. When I feel overwhelmed by all that's required of me, and not just required of me, but on top of that, all that's expected of me, from coaches and family members and teachers and bosses, all of these these expectations and all that's happening to me, things that I cannot control, the circumstances of my life, when I get overwhelmed with all of that, I can look to Jesus. When I'm crushed by my sins, both what I've done and what I should have done but didn't do, I can look to Jesus. And when I feel the sting of death and pain or gaze upon the brokenness of our world, I can look with hope at Jesus because he is coming again. And when he comes, I will see him. And when I see him, I will be with him forever. And the hope for you and me as Christians is that. When we're overwhelmed, when we're broken, when we're disgusted by our sin, when we're frustrated with the world, when we're upset at all of the expectations that we feel like we can't ever measure up to, we can look to Jesus. And not only that, when we see one another feeling the weight of the world, we can point their eyes to Jesus too. And say, hey, remember, it's hard right now, but this is not forever. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to make all things right. The brokenness that we feel, the discouragement that we feel, the the feeling of pain and the sting of death that we feel, this is for a moment. But when Jesus comes back, it will be forever. So encourage one another with these words. I want to pray for us and give you a good amount of time to think through these things to consider how you might encourage one another with the truth that Jesus is coming back. Yeah, are there questions that we can think about as it relates to the end times? How do we make sense of all the the different mechanics of, you know, the questions about the millennium and the tribulation and the false prophet and like all of these things that we can list out? Yeah, those are good questions to have, but what is supreme? What is most important? What is most important is that Jesus is going to come back and make all things right. It will be public. It will be without confusion. It will be final. It will be 
glorious. And for those of us who are in Christ, that is the hope that we have. It causes us to wait with hope when we feel the sting of death. It will allow us to grieve with hope. And so my prayer for you is that you might consider in your groups, what would it really look like to live day to day really believing he could come back today? Like, how would that change the way you talk to your friends? How would that change the way you interact with your parents? How would that change the way you work at school? How would that change the way you relate to your teammates? Jesus could come back today. Like, today could be the day that I look up and hear the trumpet of God and see the King. If that's true, and it is, it's been true, How might that change the way we live? How might that change the way we interact here? Those questions and more, I pray you would consider. Let's pray.